Welcome to the Discovery Pod, where we talk to leading experts from the University of Adelaide about solutions to society's most pressing challenges. Space exploration is upon us, and the University of Adelaide is at the centre of space research in Australia. In particular, we're exploring what human life will look and feel like on the moon. So to discuss this topic, I'm joined by two University of Adelaide researchers looking into the challenges faced by long-term planetary exploration. Associate Professor John Colton, the Director of the Andy Thomas Centre for Space Resources, and Dr. Amit Srivastav, Senior Lecturer in the School of Architecture and Built Environment. So John, can you briefly explain to us the role that the University of Adelaide is playing in this area of space exploration? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for asking. It's a great question. I mean, the university um, clearly made a, a bold decision to become a leader in the space research that's critically important to this wave of space exploration that uh, is, uh, is upon us now, and really leveraging the support, the very supportive uh, South Australian government, and the fact that we are located right next to the Australian Space Agency uh, to move into this space and develop research capabilities um, that, we'll, that, the, that we will need and the workforce will need going forward. So uh, just about a year and a half ago, the Andy Thomas Center for Space Resources was formed. Um, and even though that title sounds a bit engineering, um, the names, our namesake and patron is an astronaut. So it's important to realize that our focus is really on humans. Mm -hmm. And so um, the vision for the center is to support long-term human presence beyond low Earth orbit using the resources that we find along the way. So we're not talking about um, mining things that we would bring back to a terrestrial market. We're talking about water, mm -hmm. oxygen. Um, the dirt on the moon that you're just standing on contains titanium and iron and things that we can use to build structures to support those, those human beings. And so because we're, uh, at, at the end of the day, we're very human-centric, it's important that uh, we don't just attack this from an engineering and a science standpoint. This is a team effort across the entire university. And so we also include the professions because Long-term human presence also means things like governance and healthcare and psychology and families and jobs and workforce and recreation and things like this. So um, across the, every, every faculty on the university is involved in this particular effort. Mm -hmm. So you're really focused on living on the moon, like how, how possible it is for humans to live on the moon as opposed to just visit it and explore it. Absolutely. Why is now such an important time in the journey towards exploring space for us to uh, consider actually living on the moon? Well, there's, there's a bit of a famous quote that, had, that, that goes something like this, that um, if, if humanity was meant to be a space-faring species, uh, we would have been uh, given a moon. Mm -hmm. And we have a moon. Yeah. So, uh, and the reason that's so fantastic is because just four days away from us, we have a probing ground where we can start small and we can build the technologies and build the understanding and the facilities and the habitation and the other, the other sorts of science, um, or the other sorts of knowledge base that we would need to master before we move even further away. By the time you get to Mars, that's, that's a very, very long journey and you are literally a year, two years from any sort of assistance or rescue. So before we make that kind of a leap, we want to perfect uh, all of the multitude of disciplines 
right here in our own backyard mm -hmm. on the moon. Right. So did you say four days, four days away? Yeah. Yeah. The about... moon is four days away. Right. I didn't even know that. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, yeah, I can imagine it would be quite an important pit stop for the next sort of phase, whether that be Mars or... Yeah. Sure. And yeah. lots of people have their sights set on Mars, but the moon is, in a, is, is, is obviously makes, is, is a very desirable place for us to work out all of those kinks um, mm -hmm. before we move on to uh, maybe some other more desirable destinations. Yeah. And you did mention um, the resources along the way, um, the moon dust and things like that. Uh, we were talking briefly before, and I can remember you saying that we would have to consider things like transporting resources from Earth, which would be very expensive and time-consuming. And obviously, you want to avoid that by potentially making use of yeah, the resources you find along the way. Right. Only about 2% of the mass of any rocket that leaves the surface of the Earth is usable cargo. Really? 2%. Wow. So you can imagine trying to take all the food and air mm. and water that you would need for a mission to Mars and back and put it into that 2%. Yeah. So it, it, essentially, it's, it's not very feasible mm. uh, in that, particular, uh, in that particular methodology. And that's why Mars is always 20 years away. Mm -hmm. It's because we, are just, we have not been able to crack, to crack that. But you can see all kinds of um, individuals and governments are attacking this problem. And it's, we're getting to the point now where you see things like uh, SpaceX's Starship, which is actually making huge, huge differences in the cost of these kinds of missions and, and making this uh, something that's actually achievable um, easily within the career of a young person uh, who might be watching this now. Wow. So all of that sort of, yeah, research is happening in South Australia, which is really, really cool and encouraging. Ab absolutely. This mm. is, uh, from our perspective, and we may be a little bit biased, but this is, this is definitely the, the centre for new space research within Australia. Mm. Wow. So Amit, that sounds like quite a huge undertaking. Um, why are humans so keen to explore this option of living on the moon? Well, I think we've been... Uh trying to do this for a long time and we're just coming to a point where the technology is trying to make those dreams true for a lot of people. Um, and of course, John uh, has a much bigger mandate here and he's trying to run the whole center and there's lots of people involved in it. But I'm sort of coming at it from a design perspective, from mm -hmm. the architecture school. And that's why I think for me, it's more about the people and how also it captures not just, you know, we're talking about astronauts and we're talking about people who are going to go there, but also lay people who are on Earth and why is this so important for them. So I, the way I think about it is there's like two parts to that. First, it, exploration is a very sort of human uh, desire, a very strong mm -hmm. human desire. And uh, we've been thinking about this for a long time. So there's all the sort of sci-fi stuff that has developed over the past 50, 60 years, ever since we started, uh, you know, we put the step on the moon and we made that a reality. Mm -hmm. uh, things that we read in comic books and movies and all sorts of things. Um, you know, I was saying the other day, I'm, I'm a bit pissed off that we haven't done flying cars yet, yeah. but you know, <laughs> where there's aspirations that are built and humanity is not just, you know, surviving. Humanity is built around mm. human aspirations. So I think the aspirations are a very important part of that aspect of mm -hmm. exploration. So I think that's important. So we, we're not just doing it for solving a technical problem. Of mm. course, there's lots of technical problems to be solved, but we're also doing it because there's something uh, hopeful about it, something to look forward to. And I think that's quite important to consider from the perspective of an exploration thing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, from the School of Architecture and um, with that design background, um, do you, how long are you imagining 
people to be staying on the moon? Is it long term? Is it mid length stays? So that's a good question. Um, of course, when you talk about the, the sci-fi context that I've said, you know, we start imagining large yeah. settlements and it's a slow process. So we did initial explorations before where, you know, people would visit or go uh, for, you know, matter of days or weeks to do an exploration mm -hmm. and, and gather information. So there's no actual intent of uh, anybody staying there. But now we are trying to address the next step uh, in this process, which might be midterm mm -hmm. uh, stay which would include people who are working there more uh, intensely, but staying there for a matter of months or a year, uh, right. but not a whole settlement just yet. Right. Although working with students and people within the design faculty, we do think about those things, and it's quite exciting to try and understand those things. But at this uh, juncture, that's what we're looking at, um, getting people who would go as part of exploration teams. So mm -hmm. for example, uh, for the last couple of years, I've been running this thing with students, and we are looking at things like um, setting up uh, a sort of scientific experiment uh, setup, which would be for maybe space agriculture or figuring out initial mining experiments or even medical research. So these sort of things where people might stay for, there for medium term, along with other people that they work with and the kind of problems that might create as right. well and addressing that and then bringing them back home. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking about potential things that you could do on the moon, and <laughs> I can imagine a, a huge market for weekend birthday trips or something, <laughs> bachelorette parties on the moon. Well, that would be cool. I'm sure that will come at some point, <laughs> but not just yet. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, this may seem like a silly question. I don't know much about life on the moon. And um, in terms of a, I'm just thinking about the aesthetics of it, and um, and I'm imagining looking out and it all being dark around mm -hmm. you. Is that a reality? Would would you be, say, in your workplace on the moon or in your um, your home in, on the moon? Would you look out the window and it, would it be dark? Well, the, the thing is that it depends where on the moon you are. But right. one thing is for sure that we are not uh, dealing with this, the daily cycles that we have on Earth. So that's mm. been one of the important considerations in design, that there isn't a sort of daily 24-hour cycle yeah. that works with the normal human rhythm of work. So you have to create a context whereby people can start figuring out their day and working in certain terms. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're not, like there's no sun, sunrise and sunset on a 24 hour cycle that you yeah. are looking for. So of course those things affect the way people, um, the people live there. Yeah. And that's a very important consideration. So I should sort of say, when we start talking about the human component, I'm very, uh, glad that we are looking at it more holistically uh, mm. from the perspective of what we would call the sort of soft side of these yeah. things. Uh, so it's a very important question because if there isn't a sun, if there isn't a context of the whole day, it does have a very strong effect on the psychology of the person, the mental yeah. health of the person. And those are important parts or considerations of the design. Mm -hmm. So the design is aspirational. It makes an interesting um, things that look nice as well, but it's very much driven by how these people will feel and uh, operate and living away from families or any kind of normal human contact, how they will operate with each other in confined spaces. Yeah. So that's an important part of this. And I think I would like to add that it's not, this is something that I explain to students and a lot of people, uh, is that this is not just an extravagant effort for us to just go to the moon. Uh, the process of thinking about these things, as would be the case with any good sci-fi uh, novel, is to reflect on our condition here on Earth. Mm. So one of the important things might be to sort of imagine 
that uh, the kind of isolation a person will feel on the moon is not that radically different than people who work maybe in the mining sector in the middle of a desert right. or out in the middle of the sea. So the complexities of human psychological sort of challenges that we create uh, and how design can address it and how our understanding of these things uh, might create better opportunities right here on Earth as well. Right. Yeah. That's so relevant. That makes so much sense. And, and if I could just add real very quickly, yeah. it's, it's obvious that Ahmed has done a lot of deep thinking about this. And so I, I should just mention that, that his efforts and the efforts of the School of Architecture actually predate the formation of the center right. uh, here. So they've been looking at this problem for quite some time. Um, and, and really how that sort of relates to us is we're used to seeing astronauts in space in a, in a round tin can. Yeah. And the reason for that is because we're having to bring that can from the surface of the earth and it has to fit inside the shroud that sits on top of a rocket. So there's a certain dimension limitation there. So everybody who does go there has to, you know, that's their expected living environment. Uh, my daughter is an officer on a submarine and I can tell you from talking with her that that's not a natural environment for a human being and it does bring with it a number of, of challenges even for shorter, uh, shorter duration missions. So in combination with the things that Amit can do, if you can make building materials out of the dirt that you're standing on on the moon, think about the kind of structure that Amit could design that would enhance the, 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 the crew psychology uh, and the experience. Wow. That's so cool. That's really awesome. And what a great synergy between a lot of the um, aspects of the university. On a more personal note, can I ask what led you both to, to spend and invest so much time and energy um, into exploring space? Is there a personal anecdote? I don't know if there's an anecdote, but I'm quite sure I, I was a sci-fi fan. Yeah. <laughs> I've got lots of sort of sci-fi novels and, and comic books and, and uh, when I was younger, it seemed like it was a childish, you know, uh, sort of hobby. But uh, the reality is, if you look at movies now, and that these things are more and more becoming popular and they're part of the general imagination of humanity. Mm -hmm. So I don't sort of feel separated from that anymore. And I yeah. kind of feel that needs to be something that we do address. And uh, we want to take it from a place where it's fantasy and, yeah. and, a, and a, maybe, you know, a way to sort of run away from things to bring it into a place where we're actually reflecting on what the reality of all of it is. So uh, it's a good example, John said, about being in a submarine, and I was yeah. saying about people being in mining sector. We don't think about those people very often as we go about our daily lives, you know, in the city, but those are people who are, you know, sustaining our existence in many ways. And it's good to imagine what, how can we address those things and, you know, going uh, into space, we want to make a better opportunity so that people are not in those tin cans mm. uh, and how they can bring that humanity with them to space. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you're very passionate about it. <laughs> yes. And John? Uh, I'm sure it's apparent that I'm the oldest person on set here. Uh, so <laughs> I was actually uh, alive for the Apollo 11 uh, moon landing. And so, you know, paying attention to the pace that NASA, that the plan that NASA had laid out in front of it, that we weren't supposed to stop originally at Apollo 17. There was a plan that, that led all the way out to Mars. And so growing up in that environment, you know, we, we figured that by the time I was, you know, 30, you know, I, I might be participating in those kinds mm -hmm. of activities. And of course, it didn't quite pan out that way. And there's lots and lots of reasons, reasons for that. But um, uh, so when we were watching all of the different things that are now coming together to make this actually finally possible, of, of course, you want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I think, uh, you know, Elon Musk said you, you could either sit back and watch it happen or you could participate in it. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's when uh, many of us have, there's been many people who've been pushing the boundaries and trying to participate for years and years, and they've made fantastic progress that, and, and we stand on their shoulders. But uh, the fantastic news item for anybody who's in university now or contemplating coming to university to study any of these different things that would be relevant to space exploration, this is a real career opportunity. This is a real career choice for them. And so what journey did you take to get to your, um, where you are in your career right now? What, what did you study and, and how did, um, what kind of foundations did you lay to make your role now possible? Well, specifically for me, um, my bachelor's degree was in a, sort of a mix between astronautical engineering and civil engineering because uh, I thought building roads on the moon might be kind of be kind of neat. Um, I took a lot of time off uh, in between that and sort of later in life when I got back into this, but then mostly from a business regulatory law perspective. Um, so I've so I've worked uh, a little bit on that side of that side of things uh, in the past uh, sort of decade, and then uh, got involved here um, just with uh, from the perspective of the civil engineering. Uh, building a civil engineering environment to, to test uh, lunar surface hardware. Right, yeah. Yeah, because I, th I think it's interesting to, to hear about the roles of interesting people like yourselves and as young people sometimes it almost seems a bit unattainable to be working on such high level ideas. But it, it's encouraging to know that, um, to, to understand the steps that were taken, just pretty regular steps leading to a pretty cool career. And, and and not to, I just want to say that as this, as this gets bigger, that just makes more opportunities available. Mm -hmm. And so you might feel that you're outside of the space world or you're not part of the space world, but if you, if the space world's very welcoming, mm -hmm. just come to conferences, come talk to people, give people like Amit a call and uh, talk to them and you're in the club. Yeah. And so that's, that's awesome. two thirds of the journey right there. I guess, yeah, yeah one day we'll need... We need pizza makers on the moon and <laughs> every type of industry. Absolutely. Well, I think it's quite important um, not to sort of see, and especially as a young person, it's quite easy to sort of think that career is this sort of straight path to exactly where you need to be. And, mm. you know, you meander and go through all sorts of different stages. So that's a really important question and an important consideration. So um, I... Just going back to John's point, I also teach uh, history of technology as part of the architecture school. And technological progress is not that straightforward. And, you know, we, we teach it in a way as if it's a linear progress, but it's not. So usually ideas are around and it takes, you know, 50, 60 years before uh, there's enough uh, recognition and desire within the population to do parts of it mm -hmm. so that it all starts coming together. So I think, yes, in defining any career, people should be aware that they have to keep an open mind and they just have to engage and talk to people and see where things are at that moment. And even it just seems like you're not quite getting to it right now, you will make your way to it eventually from yeah. other from other routes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Serendipity and determination uh, yes, definitely yeah. uh, help. Especially yeah. with space exploration. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, John, do you think that we will see people living these mid-length stays on the moon in our lifetime? Yeah, at, at the risk of sounding uh, <laughs> uncautious, I would say absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a, you know, juxtaposed against the last 50 years where things uh, went uh, much, much slower than we had anticipated, I think they're actually moving much faster now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, 
Awesome. It sounds like um, our technology is at a point where we can start to think about these more niche and, in my mind, exciting kind of ideas. No, I think uh, you said the thing about determination. I think that's really important. If we don't believe it, then we're still living in that context of fantasy. And yeah. this is a very important thing, particularly when I deal with design students. They like to fantasize, but I have to continuously sort of make them bring it into reality and say, that's fine, we can all dream, but how are we going to make it happen? And we are close in many ways, so we're working, uh, so I like to talk about the design concepts, but I'm working also with uh, colleagues in engineering where we are looking at creating certain kinds of concrete with mm -hmm. the regoliths or the moon dust, uh, and that really... Uh, makes it tangible for yeah. students to sort of say, yes, there is an actual material. I can actually work with it rather than just, you know, creating forms of fantasy. Right. Yeah. So do, does that mean you have moon dust in your office? Like, is it here well, in we, the... we have a simulant. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, no, but we've, we've got an actual simulant and, yeah. and their colleagues uh, in the engineering where we use uh, laser sintering to create mm -hmm. small blocks with these. So, and that the test is going really well, actually. So we are hoping that we'll be able to put it in some sort of design prototype really soon. We'll right, see. and that won't need water to create? No, we're using uh, la laser sintering, so we're using laser to sort of bind the components wow. into a concrete, yes. Which is helpful if there's no water on the yes, moon. Yes, yeah, but, no consideration. Um, we may find water on the moon, is that still a possibility? Well, I'll let John answer that, but if we do find water, I'm sure we'll have much more important uses for it than making concrete. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as it turns out, um, the more data that, that, that comes in, uh, the more we understand that the solar system is actually a lot more wet than we uh, originally might have thought. And although in the 60s and 70s we thought the moon was uh, an incredibly dry desert, there's actually quite a bit of water uh, on the moon. So um, there's opportunities uh, at different uh, lunar destinations to find water uh, in the form of ice, or you can find oxygen just uh, bound up in the lunar regolith or in dark mantle deposits, which are pyroclastic beads that are the result of uh, volcanic uh, flows on the surface of the moon, which you can look up and just see here from, wow. from the earth. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. So does that um, increase the chances that there's life out there as well? Uh, we're not, uh, we don't think that that's probably the case for the moon, but mm -hmm. I think there's very, uh, there's very high chances that we're going to find life, say, on the moons of Saturn, the moons of Jupiter, potentially even on Mars. Yeah. Wow. I hope that all comes out in our lifetime. It'll be very interesting to see transpire. Mm -hmm. John and Amit, thank you so much for joining the listeners and I on today's Discovery Pod episode. It's been a real privilege to hear about the work that you do and thank you for that very hard work into an area that um, hopefully and I'm sure we'll see blossom into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. Join us next time when we discuss foreign interference. <laughs>